This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Finance Minister Tito Mboweni delivered the medium-term budget policy statement proposing a five-year fiscal consolidation to narrow the budget deficit and stabilize government debt. The biggest highlights were that the South African economy is expected to contract by 7.8% in 2020, while our debt is set to rise to 5.5 trillion rand in the 2023-24 fiscal year. The ailing national airline received yet another bailout and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic continue to affect various industries here in South Africa and across the world. Which begs the question, did Minister Tito Mboweni's budget speech give us the confidence on how we can get out of the current economic crisis we all collectively face? Joining us at this time to answer this question and more, as he always does whenever information comes from the tippy top of the mountain and trickles down all the way to the rest of us, we are joined by Mr. Jamie Mighty here on the COVID report. Jamie, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again. Let's get the big things out the way first. Will consumers who listened to Finance Minister Tito Mboweni's speech be given any reason to be concerned or any reason to keep their wallets clutched ever so tightly against them? Well, I think they definitely should be more conservative in their budgeting and their uh, forward planning because I don't think that at a street level, um, there was much that came out of that budget that was encouraging. So if you look at it at the, the man on the street level, definitely this is not something where the consumers should be delighted or enthusiastic. We've been told, or we've gathered, should we say, over the course of the speech that um, we are borrowing at a rate in excess of a billion rand a day. Why is the allocation of more money given to the provincial government rather than the local government? And is that one of the areas that may make consumers um, be concerned a bit? Well, I'll tell you something. When, when you measure debt like that, um, it's, it's for dramatic effect and not always for um, understanding the state of uh, the nation in terms of the strategy that we need to be taking moving forward. You know, when you look at South Africa, it's a very big economy. And whenever a certain amount of money is borrowed or a certain amount of money is being used on a daily basis, it does sound like a large number, but we also need to be careful when we're looking at an economy the size of South Africa with 57 million people. So it's not a small economy. It's the largest, um, you know, economy in, in some respects in Africa. Um, although Nigeria technically is larger, but there's, there's a conversation there which is not useful for the purposes of our discussion. But I think to break it down, something that everyone needs to think about right now is one, what is the context of our economy right now? The context is that we were in a recession before COVID-19 hit. And when COVID-19 hit, the recession was exacerbated. And now the economy has contracted and uh, in terms of growth from that lethargic growth that it has and now to a projection of seven minus 7.4 or thereabouts. So what this means is that the recession has become worse. And then the question that needs to be asked is what do you do when you are in a recession? Do you choose austerity or do you choose stimulus? Austerity is around making sure you trim your budget, making sure you balance your books, making sure you cut your wage bill, making sure that you save costs. And austerity 
is generally prudent financial uh, decision-making when you are really in a bad debt situation, but you are not in a recession. When you're in a recession, if you choose an austerity methodology, you may actually be able to balance your books, but the economic conditions will then be entrenched. So if you had costs that needed you to continue borrowing, you may end up having to continue borrowing even though you're firing more people because you have not done anything to increase your earning capacity. So as an example, when Greece was in a lot of debt, it was forced to take austerity measures by the European Union. But that austerity approach did not actually improve the economic conditions of Greece. Um, if you were to look at America in 2008, they took a stimulus approach to um, dealing with the Great Recession. And as a result of that, the economy was able to rebound much faster. A stimulus approach requires a government to spend in critical areas where they can improve their earning capacity. It does mean in the short term, you incur more debt, but it means that you're able to get out of your um, slow economic growth pattern much faster. So that's actually one of the underlying conversations that is at a normative economic level and not a numbers level. But if you don't think about the normative elements, the numbers may seem one way or another, but you won't actually be able to assess whether we're heading in a good direction or a bad direction. But when you think about the context of the recession, which has been heightened by COVID-19, then you then begin to think, what is the best way out of a recession? And uh, arguably the best way out of a recession is a stimulus approach. Now going to the, 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 the midterm budget, there was not a stimulus approach taken. It was a, a, an approach which was to try to save money and also to try to reduce the wage bill. But if you were to think critically, do any of those decisions jumpstart the economy? The answer is no. Very insightful stuff. Thank you very much for that, Jamie. Now, if we could talk about my favorite part of the address from Finance Minister Titumboweni um, in Parliament, getting to the part where he was explaining where the 500 billion rand went. And this was my favorite part of his address, not so much for what he was saying, but the background murmurings from everyone else in attendance um, in that parliamentary sitting while uh, Minister Mboweni was delivering his speech. 30 billion of the 500 billion was uh, dedicated for health and frontline services, 50 billion going towards vulnerable households, 40 billion for wage protection um, via the UIF, 100 billion going towards job creation measures, 200 billion going towards a credit guarantee scheme, as well as another 20 billion um, allocated for municipalities to be able to handle their day-to-day -day issues, especially over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, with the remaining 70 billion being allocated for emergency tax uh, measures. My question to you, Jamie, Will this do enough to dissuade the detractors and those who aren't trusting as far as what was exactly done with that 500 billion rand? So I think if we look at these numbers, there are some numbers where we have to be more critical in terms of to really try to follow and see what happened with that, with that money. So in the first instance, the 30 billion for health and other frontline services, we know that much of that money did not end up where it was meant to go. And the reason why is because 
of the high levels of PPE fraud that we saw. So in the instances where the government was using middlemen to procure the PPE, a lot of those middlemen were actually, um, you know, profiting from the, the invoice. So if you then say, I want to spend 30 billion on PPE, let's say each unit of PPE costs one rand, right? You are supposed to get 30 units of PPE. But if everybody is now charging five rand on that uh, particular PPE, you don't get the 30 billion items, you end up getting um, what is it? Six billion, right? Because everyone has now charged a profit on that particular thing. And we saw that with the PPE, whether it was the thermometers, whether it was uh, the protective equipment itself, whether it was water supply, a lot of people actually took opportunities to pad invoices. And as a result of that, that first 30 billion which does seem like a low number considering that you're trying to manage a virus to begin with. Um, I don't think that we should take that number as being the on paper number because we've seen a lot of people were, were benefiting from that. When you go to the sixth item there, which is 20 billion towards municipalities to assist them with COVID related activities, we saw people were invoicing millions of rands for community discussion groups, which didn't actually happen. Um, and, and that also leads to the question around how much money of this 20 billion can we actually say went towards the purposes for which it was uh, designed, the kind of municipal activities. There was a lot of fraud in the municipalities, the food that was bought in municipalities, the packages. Many times we saw food packages that were not up to scratch because people were now charging 1,000 rands for a food package which had 200 rands worth of uh, food. So that's also some somewhere where that amount of money saw a lot of leakage. If you were to then look at uh, another area where there was a lot of problems is that 40 billion for UIF. We've heard a lot of people didn't get their UIF payments because a lot of companies have been playing fast and loose and actually being corrupt with that money. So there's also a question mark on whether or not that 40 billion went where it was supposed to go. Now going to the 100 billion for job initiatives, it's very clear that jobs have not been created at the pace which they were supposed to under COVID-19. So the question then becomes what is going to happen to that uh, 100 billion because now they're saying it's for the midterm and not necessarily just for this year. So a lot of questions have to be asked moving forward about just exactly which jobs are going to be created from this particular money. When are those jobs going to be advertised? Who is going to be hired and for how long? It's going to be very important for journalists and people in civil society to really start trying to track the job promises that are made by this administration, because the administration and historically has a history of promising either job opportunities, job initiatives, but not necessarily being able to explain to you that these are the 500 people that we hired and they worked here for six years. And now this is what has happened to them moving forward. So it's going to be very important for questions to be asked. So going back to the murmurs that you were discussing, I think a lot of those murmurs are actually very, very justified because we have seen so much leakage and a failure of oversight. And to be honest, um, you know, arrests which only account for the tip of the iceberg and not the extent 
of the graft that was seen on this 500 um, billion. So I think many people have justified reasons to say this money was not seen, this money was not felt, and as a result, its impact is questionable. And this 500 billion has now added to the debt of the country, which means civilians will have to pay for it without necessarily having benefited from it. And those are real concerns. Real concerns, indeed, made even more apparent and even more heightened, so to say, than uh, the reports that emerged yesterday of the SAA receiving the uh, 10.3 billion rand bailout package. Now, is the government forced to rescue SAA for with this 10.3 billion rand when there were already allocated money in the February budget speech? Could we as a country possibly be held ransom for the failure of SAA to sustain itself? Well, I want to answer that question by first explaining um, what a public good is. A public good is something that is used by everyone and as a result is best uh, taken care of by the state. For example, electricity, for example, um, uh, roads, right? So if you were to look at the road infrastructure, everyone needs roads, but not everyone can afford to pay for roads. And as a result, we pool the money and the state is responsible for the building maintenance of roads. So that is something that is a public good. And if public goods go into private sector hands, what normally happens, and we've seen this in in America and other countries, is that those private interests, because they are profit-driven, do not provide those public goods to um, rural communities, impoverished communities, because they don't have capacity to pay and private companies are driven by a profit incentive. Now, looking at SAA, SAA is something that seems to be a public good in that it allows people to fly around the country. But if you pay close scrutiny to it, it actually isn't a public good because only a few people rely on the Um, national carrier to fly around the country. It is a a service that is provided to the middle class and the elites of the country. This demographic is a demographic that does not actually use uh, exclusively the state provider. They have options in the private sector. So while it is a strategic asset it is not a public good. And a strategic asset is something that is important sometimes to have because you don't want to rely on foreign actors or private interests um, for your capacity to fly around the country, whether it's government officials, bureaucrats, politicians. But however, when something is a strategic asset, at some point it needs to be considered whether the strategic asset is worth its value. And in this particular instance, it's arguable that SAA is not worth its value. If it has been bailed out to date for 57 billion, if you were to add this extra 10 billion, it's um, clear that it's not necessarily um, worth its value. And because it isn't a public good in the true sense of the word, I do think that there needs to be consideration of um, the, the the national government's you know, relinquishing this interest in having a national carrier. National carriers can be successful and they have been successful. If you look at Ethiopian Airways, if you look at Rwanda Air, but that requires um, effective management. And because, um, you know, the airline industry is a very small margin game. And when people are stealing money, Uh, those small margins are easily eroded. So if you were to look at the way SAA was run, it was run very poorly. It was run with many costs that ought to have been addressed, which were not addressed. 
And there's nothing that indicates that that is going to change under a government leadership. And so as a result, I don't think this amount of money allocated to SAA is prudent, even though the ministers have said that this is towards the, um, the rescue plan, the business rescue plan. It's very clear that that business rescue plan has been in shambles. It's very clear that the things that are normally supposed to happen in a business rescue plan have not happened. And as a result, I think that those who are raising the criticism of continuing to have the SAA as a strategic asset within the, the, the you know, the national government control. Those criticisms are fair at this point. Indeed. Now, perhaps the biggest takeaway, especially for me, from Minister Ditombowini's speech was the ways in which the impact, the true impact that uh, COVID-19 has left on this country's economy will only be felt as the years pass. He mentioned 2021 and 2022 to be exact. Now, for those who have been following the story and have been paying attention and are aware of the of, of the element that um, the BRICS Bank, the IMF, and the African Development Bank plays in South Africa's plans to mitigate the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you take us through the responsibility that South Africa is going to have as a country to repaying the BRICS Bank, repaying the IMF, and repaying the African Development Bank? What are the terms of these payments, and how will the South African leadership have to go about uh, paying these loans off? Well, I, I can't speak to all of the terms because I'm not familiar with them, but I do think that we know that the IMF uh, repayment is at a 1%, uh, which which sounds small, but when you're looking at the amount of money that is involved, it's actually a lot of money, especially over a long period of time. So I think that the debt servicing um, of all of the debts that have been acquired during COVID-19 will continue for a long time and will be an impediment to growth. But again, I want to go back to the normative discussion so that everyone understands. In a time of crisis, you have two options because you have to fundraise in a time of crisis. You have two options for that fundraising. Either you already have excess money, so you don't have to fundraise, you just do what is what is needed. But most countries don't have excess money of the extent that you need to deal with the crisis. So you can borrow that money. And if you borrow that money, obviously you have to pay it back at a later date at, a, at, a, at an interest rate, uh, which is not always in your control, which is what South Africa has chosen. The third option, which was on the table, which was uh, something that is called quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is the printing of money. It's not always printing in the literal sense because sometimes it's just a digital allocation to banks as opposed to paper money being sent to banks, et cetera. So quantitative easing is the option that has been taken by America, by Canada, by the United Kingdom, by Australia and several other G20 countries. And South Africa is a G20 country. Why have they taken that particular uh, route? It's because that way you are funding your programs from your own money. So increasing the money supply in the short term to pay for all of the costs that you need, that does come with a risk. And that risk is an inflation risk because uh, increased money supply can actually lead to inflation. It doesn't seem to have happened in this respect uh, across the world because of the nature of the COVID pandemic. So there has not really been an inflationary um, pattern, which shows that it was actually a prudent strategy to take. Um, 
the the concern has always been and this is where the contestation has been about the reserve bank and why the fight for the reserve bank is so important um people who have a lot of money uh, which is secured in rands so people who have bank deposits in rands uh, the elites of the country the, the the corporate companies which have trillions uh, in deposits in rands they did not want to take a route which could depreciate the value of their rand assets in terms of bank reserves so they would rather the government take the debt than lose the money or take a risk of inflation cutting some of the money that they have so this is the contestation that you saw in the country and the resultant outcome was rather than pursue quantitative easing the country has now pursued the option of borrowing money now borrowing money as 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 i mentioned earlier will lead to the outcome where it will slow your long term economic growth when you look at the bigger picture even some of the programs the government has decided to prioritize infrastructure programs around network infrastructure like roads is not necessarily going to create pathways to rapid economic growth realistically speaking what needs to be focused on in south africa is the provision of broadband internet to communities that do not have it so townships and rural areas why to get those businesses plugged into the internet so that they can trade across the country so that they can trade and compete across the country but that was not done so the township economy has not been made a digital economy and that means that those benefits are not going to accrue to the fiscus the township economy does not have an opportunity to grow and this is one of the biggest failings of the economic recovery plan and even this mid term plan the other issue is that you need to actually spend a lot more money investing in your skills south africa ranks 112 out of all of the countries that are are ranked in the in the global competitiveness index on skills so we are not very good on skills and as a result of that it shows you that we need to spend a lot more time on education and education in the right um priority areas uh, that's tvets for technical skills that's stem which is science technology engineering and mathematics however there's a clear indication that government is not actually going to increase their support for students they're not going to increase their support for universities and tvets financially this therefore means that in the long term which is 5 to 10 years you're not going to see the kind of economic growth that you need to see in South Africa because broadband has not been introduced in the communities that need it because the investment has not been made in education what you're going to see is the same wage um ratios with a certain number of people in the professional sector a certain number of people in manufacturing which is actually in decline so when you look at the economic indicators there's nothing that was done that actually uh, creates a credible pathway to the kind of growth that south africa needs to see to get out of the conditions it was in before covid-19 so after covid-19 things will be worse and i think people will find that this um very conservative fiscal approach in a time of crisis will not actually be a decision that many will find to have been irrational or a, a good decision for growth purposes jamie this is quite the bleak picture that you paint i will not lie 
And in response to this, latching on to the last bit of what you've just said, when you consider, and I think about this on a regular basis, when you consider the portion of the South African population or certain South African households who regularly discuss the government's relationship with money here in South Africa, and they go, oh, well, um, since, since our costs are so high, maybe what government needs to do is simply cut their costs. Now, my question to you, is that a short-sighted view of things or is there merit to the idea that government could possibly afford to cut costs considering our growing deficit and the economic crises that we found ourselves in as well as this COVID-19 pandemic? Is cutting costs a viable option as a way out for our government? So I'll tell you one thing that I said at the beginning is that austerity measures do not um, create growth. All they do is they balance the book. But if you need growth and you are in a recession, you don't get there through austerity measures. And that is what, um, you know, cutting the wage bill is actually about. Those kind of measures seek to um, have less people working for the state and more people in the private sector providing the services that were provided by the state. The challenge is when you do that, one, you have more people unemployed because, hey, they used to work for the state. Now they don't work for the state. And number two, the services actually become more expensive because the private sector is driven by a profit incentive. So it means that the things that you used to get from the state, even though they were not maybe necessarily the best quality, now you can no longer get if you're poor because now they are expensive and they may be better quality, but you're excluded from them. So the cost of living becomes higher and it deepens actually the economic inequalities and even the state of the economy sometimes. So that's the first thing. The challenge in South Africa is this. The government is also wasting a lot of money in the respect of graft and corruption. So when money goes missing, when money doesn't go where it was supposed to go, when all of these uh, invoices are inflated and people are just blatantly lying about having delivered services that they didn't render, that is what gives taxpayers uh, a hesitation in their heart you know, to commit to more spending from the government. Because ideally, when you're looking at the economic fundamentals, if government was not corrupt, you know, more spending would actually be effective at getting the country out of recession because that money would go to the areas it needs to go, uh, give those um, particular beneficiaries access to pathways out of poverty, and then that would stimulate the economy, which is why it was more effective in uh, America, because they didn't have these kind of levels of graft. But if you now think about an economy where a lot of money is being stolen and leaking in the system, you then become worried about more spending because it means that there will be more leakage. So the challenge that exists right now, and I, I don't think there's a way out of it, is how do you actually get the money to get where it needs to get without being stolen by you know the bad elements within the bureaucracy there's no there's no clear answer for that as things stand as a result of that those who are concerned about pursuing an, a, a more uh, progressive monetary policy th they actually stand you know uh, with a stronger case as things stand right now because when you don't have uh, the right kind of fiscal management, pursuing a more progressive monetary policy, 
can be a recipe for disaster because you can't do that when you have thieves in the room. And that is the situation. My wish, and, and, and I wish it was more positive, but if you're not investing in the digital economy in terms of allowing more people to access it, and if you're not investing in reskilling your youth and preparing them to compete in the global uh, marketplace, which is now a high skills marketplace, you're not taking seriously long-term growth. I wish it could be different, but we have to be honest about that. And finally, from me, can you take me through your interpretation, your observation of the scope of the mammoth task that President Cyril Ramaphosa has ahead of him to get the nation on board? Since we've established how divided these financial developments that were shared with us via that midterm budget speech from Minister Tito Mboweni and the nature for the contents of that speech to make the South African consumer as nervous as they have every right to be now, especially moving towards our continued fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. What, what is the size of the mammoth task ahead of President Cyril Ramaphosa to get the nation on side again? What are, what are we going to see in terms, of, or in terms of when, so to speak? When are we going to see the implementation of infrastructure and the development, the development fund launched by the president well let me be um let's look let's look back right there's been many initiatives that have been launched by the president youth employment service to to name one um when you want to see implementation by a politician you know you may not see it um the reality is they've done what they needed to do to protect the interests of corporate south africa to protect the interests of the wealthy and elite in South Africa, those interests have been protected. They're maintained. The RAND will remain stable. Those people's savings and their deposits will remain stable. Um, The government will incur some more debt and it will continue to roll out its programs with a limited capacity. And uh, realistically, I I wouldn't ask anybody to expect more. Um, You may see some implementation you may not, it's going to be more of the status quo. And the status quo is one where the people have to absorb the shock. That is, if I were to describe the economic approach is when in crisis, um, put the shock onto the people and help them absorb the shock as much as possible, but do not put the shock Uh, or the stress on businesses, do not put it on high value individuals. It's a continuation. So I think that um, unfortunately, those who are looking to see, um, you know, economic reform um, or economic progression uh, as a result of economic policy from the government, they're not going to see it, unfortunately. It's not going to happen. But you will see the status quo continue. Big business will continue to survive. Uh, professional communities will continue to survive. But uh, unfortunately, the economy will continue to be, um, uh, let's say, a stagnant economy. And maybe when COVID ends, you may see some industries actually rebooting as a result of increased travel, as a result of more um, ease of, of, of export, import. But realistically speaking, right now, the economic conditions are going to remain relatively the same for a while.
It all makes sense now, just as it always does whenever we are joined by Mr. Jamie Mighty to unpack very important information coming to us from the tippy top of the mountain here in South Africa as the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic continues. Now, believe it or not, when you ask the question of how you think South Africa will do in terms of their efforts to recover, economically speaking, from the COVID-19 pandemic. Believe it or not, if you try and ask that question to the next ordinary South African citizen, you might be surprised by some of the answers you get. Nonetheless, we took ourselves out to the public and asked you, the fellow South African, to give us your thoughts, our capability as the South African economy to recover from everything that the COVID-19 pandemic has done to this country's economy and everything that happened pre the COVID-19 pandemic. This is what you had to say. Yeah, before lockdown, the business was so nice, was going uh, peacefully, but now things are, things are very difficult. There's no business, so we're struggling even to pay our rent. There's no money. Mm. So yeah. perhaps you can also let us know what specifically you do to sell people's clothes for, for, for events only. What, what is it that you specific, uh, um, focus on? I do traditional work, party work, and I do everything. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like now that the business, or that we are in level one and people are back to you know, weddings, people are back to parties. Are you at least seeing a difference? People are not back to parties. Things are still the same how it used to be. Mm. They're not back to, things are not normal. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the government also spoke about, you know, trying to bail out small SMMEs last week. You know, uh, as a small business owner, do you have perhaps any hope that things will get back to normal? And if you had to advise or give a solution, what would it be? My brother, I'm not in South Africa, so I don't know. I don't know. But I know as, as a South African, things will be better for them. Mm. For, for, for us foreigners, we're just hoping and praying for God's will, mm. for God's intervention. Because mm. things are really difficult. I mean, where do, where do you see your business perhaps in the next 12 months? Do you see your business bouncing back before how it used to be locked down? I see, yeah, I mean, I see my business bouncing back as a child of God. I know that one day I will succeed. I shall get there slowly, slowly and slowly. The lockdown has, has affected me, so I think almost every, every person, every business, including myself, uh, so much because people were, uh, like, like every, everybody was indoors and then people couldn't buy whatever thing we're selling out here. And most of the time, I focus, I deal with students a lot. Since the schools were closed, they couldn't come back to, they couldn't come to school. So which means I, I just couldn't sell my bags. And most of the people, I think everyone was just panicking and they used their money to buy needs, not uh, not stuff that you're selling like bags, you understand? Because somebody has to see the bag I'm selling and come buy it. And and I think it's, uh, it's, uh, that's it, that's it. So, so have you managed to bounce back to perhaps uh, the, the, the amount of profit that you, you used to make before lockdown? Uh, I think I think I'm picking up. Um, we're picking up because uh, only few people are coming to school, and and Joburg is not as packed as it used to. And 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 yeah, just a couple of people are responding to the things we're selling, so it's, 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 it's a good thing. And we're hoping that uh, as time goes by, things will change. 
mm. and, 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 and people will come back and buy our stuff again. All right. So, you know, the, the, the Minister of Finance um, spoke about, uh, you know, the, the importance of boosting small businesses. I don't know if you still have confidence with the South African government and where do you see your business um, in the next 12 months? All right. Yeah. Now, do you still have hope or perhaps you know, the government will try by all means to boost the SMME, uh, the SMMEs, or uh, perhaps you just lost hope. That's why you're just doing your thing the way you do it. Okay, I, I think uh, my approach of business has always been like this: uh, if the business come, if the if the government come come and fund us, then I'll I'll I really love that. I appreciate I will appreciate that. But I I I told myself that I'm going to keep on pushing. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do my hustle. I'll, 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 I'm just I just this is my burden. I'll just carry carry it carry it on my back and try as hard as I can to achieve my dreams and to get to, to the place where I really want to be and sell whatever thing I really want to sell and sell my products. And like, I don't want to sit back and wait for the government because uh, if, 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 if nothing happens, then I won't blame anyone. So I feel like I have to blame myself for not doing anything. That's the reason why I keep on pushing. That's the reason why I keep on coming here, this side to sell my bags. That's the thing. So I don't wanna. I'd really appreciate if the government come, come up and, and fund us. But if it doesn't happen, I'll have to keep on selling it myself. Since, uh, you know, there were no gatherings, so we we had to close the shop for, I think it was two months or two months. And uh, the thing which uh, like uh, the bad part, we we were just entering these premises and then the lockdown, just yeah just kicked in by the time we entered the premises lucky enough with the with our landlord they gave us the the discount on the rental so that's how we survived and then now we're just running specials to just bring the customers back and yeah that's how we yeah and then perhaps do you have any hope from the government you know they made they they, they addressed the, the the nation last week they spoke about you know um at least supporting SMMEs. Now, do you still have uh, hope from the government or are you just going to carry on with the hope of making profit as time goes on that will pay all the bills? Uh, my brother, with, with the hope from the government, uh, they took me from pillar to post. I tried to apply for the relief, relief fund. fund, but uh, they wanted a lot of, of things, so I ended up giving up. So I'll just rely on what I'm getting so it's lockdown level one now. Um, any hopes and where do you see your business in the next perhaps 12 months? Are you hoping to venture into other business uh, or do you just want to focus on this and make sure that you excel? Uh, uh, you know, in life you don't put your eggs in one basket. Uh, I wish, uh, well, I think I'll venture into other businesses. So for the government, uh, I'll just give it a try. Maybe this time I'll be lucky and then they give me some relief funds. Hearing from the voices that matter most, the South African citizen most affected by every permutation of that medium-term budget policy statement that was delivered last week by Finance Minister Tito Mboweni. We've just had a few South African citizens share their thoughts with us here on the COVID report as far as South Africa's chances of successfully recovering in the strict 
economic sense. We were joined further by Mr. Jamie Mighty to unpack the policy statement from Finance Minister Titombowini and outline the permutations of that statement and what it will mean for us as consumers and us as South African citizens. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or stream by www.varfm.co.za